0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, like you shared, Lord, you will, with the temptation, also provide the way of escape, Lord. And you are faithful, Lord, and you will not let us be tempted above what we can handle, Lord. And in that, Lord, not saying, Father, that we have some power within of ourselves, Lord, but speaking to redeemed people who have the Spirit of God who empowers, leads, and sanctifies. Look to the cross of Christ, Lord, to endure. Not to ourselves. And thank you, Lord, that we can see that again tonight. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be real and honest with ourselves, Lord, the motives of our hearts, the desires of our hearts, Lord. And the things, Lord, that we are busy with. And thank you, Father, like we know, Lord, that you are willing and able to come and heal, Lord, to come and save, to redeem, to restore. And thank you, Father, that tonight we can receive everything from your hand with each correction, Lord, with each encouragement. We know, Lord, that you are a good Father that want to give life. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, we are going to speak about everybody's favorite topic, self-control. Yes, self-control. Um, and that specific passage of Scripture that Jergens just came to share about will be the passage that we're going to look at as well and the context of it and what Paul is busy saying. But before we do that, I want to ask us a question as we're sitting here. How would you define self-control? What is it? Where can you buy it? And how do you apply it? Do you have the answer in your head? And specifically also, how do you apply that? If we have defined what self-control means, how do we apply that? In our lives. How does that happen? Because many times we have a kind of dilemma that Paul writes about in Romans 6 verse 19. It's not on the board, but you can go and read that on your own. And it's Paul writing. And he says... There's this thing working inside of him. You know, you realize that when he wants to do good, evil lies close at hand. And just before that, he says that the good that I want to do, I fail to do. And the bad things that I do not want to do, that I find myself doing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or found yourself in that place. And many times it can be utter sinfulness. There's a certain sin or a certain thing that you know you shouldn't do. Sometimes it's good things that we know we should be busy doing, but we fail to do that. We just can't quite get to that. I don't know if you've experienced that before. I have kind of frustration. Why do I keep doing the things that I know I shouldn't do? And Maybe better phrased that way, better translated that way as well. Instead of not doing the things I want to do, so I don't do the things that I know I should do. And I do the things that I know I Shouldn't do. But if I'm honest with myself, many times I desire the things that I shouldn't. And I don't desire the things I should. Why is that? And the, I love the word self control. It's kind of, you don't need to go and search the meaning of it. It's self explanatory. Self control. To control yourself. To ability to control oneself. Same with the Afrikaans word, self beer yourself, And many times we have a skewed view of what self-control actually means and whether we actually have self-control. And when we dig a little bit deep and when we sit and meditate and look into our own lives and in this topic of self-control we actually realize how many times we are not in control of ourselves. You see, the reason we we many times have a skewed perception is because when we focus on self-control, we tend to look at actions primarily, the things that we do and don't do. And we kind of say to ourselves that I can kind of set a goal and kind of plan a plan, I can write it out and I can keep to that thing, I can do certain things. But self is more than just action, it's also emotion, feelings, desire. Action, time, our tongues, the things we say. So are we in control of all of who we are? And for some of us might excel in one area and struggle with another. When it comes to action or time management, quite good at that. Kind of exercise self-control, have discipline in those areas. But when it comes to emotions, man, that just knocks me around. Takes me all over the place. Struggle to control it. For some, emotions might be easy, while actions might not be. A host of different things. And we need to understand it correctly. Like I said, it's not just not doing certain things, it's also not doing what we want to do, because that's also not self-control. It's not doing what we want to do. Many times we think, yeah man, I'm quite good at doing what I want to do. Everybody is. We always do what we want to do. But self-control, discipline is actually doing what we know we should be doing. That's self-control. To not do what I want to do, but what I know I should be doing. To do the good thing instead of the bad thing. Not just saying no to certain things, but saying yes to others. Not just distancing myself. Because many times I also have that kind of idea of self-control. I can look at the cake and not eat it. Kind of good at that. It's not just not eating the cake, it's eating the greens as well. And men, both those things coming into play. And maybe to ask us tonight, maybe there's areas in your life where you feel you kind of have this under control, I'm kind of good at it in specific areas, but then there's others that just spiral out of control. Or certain areas that for times it seems to go well, it seems to be disciplined, it seems to be self control and then somewhere along the line the wheel comes off every now and again. Maybe to ask us, there we are sitting, is there a specific area where you seem to have more self-control than other areas of your life? More discipline? And what is it? Quickly, there we are sitting, answer the question to yourself, say it to yourself in your head. In this area I feel I have self-control. Well, this area seems to be more disciplined, seems to be more structured, more ranged. Say it to yourself. Maybe for some of us, as we are thinking, we see that there's none. That's also okay. And then what is the area that you lack self-control, lack discipline in? Also, say it to yourself. This is the area. This is the thing. It can maybe be spiritual disciplines. For some of us, you know, saying that I'm going to this this would have been also again the year that I'm gonna read the Bible. Should have been done away by now. But I'm not there. it just seems to lack discipline. I can't seem to, to control myself in this area. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's worship, fasting maybe for some of us. Maybe it's a specific sin, a thing that you know you shouldn't do, but you keep on doing that. And then again and again you've said, Lord, this time I'm well, this time I'm not going to it happens again. Maybe you have one of them. What is it? Say it to yourself. It's important that we know these things. You see, because many times the idea that we have about self-control or discipline is of a stoic idea. A stoic idea. Stoicism. The ancient Greeks believed that our willpower, our intellect, our minds should subdue our emotions and our feelings. We should rule over ourselves with sheer willpower. And many times in our Western culture, we kind of reason the same way. We think that way, that our willpower, our mind and intellect, self-control means to take control of ourselves by sheer willpower. We are gonna try hard, we're gonna do it this time. We're gonna dig deep and we're gonna get the power. But when we think like that, we are assuming that our intellect is less affected by sin than the rest of our faculties. Our emotions and our feelings are more tainted by sin than our intellect is. And you can kind of see now, as I said, that we many times think like that. And we rely on our ability to think and to reason, our willpower, mind and our intellect. But all of it is affected by sin. And our emotions aren't inferior to our intellect We've created in the image of God in all aspects. God also has emotions, feelings, desires, and He also has a mind. But He also hates. He also loves. He also be grieved. He also feel welcomed. God also feels, and it's not inferior to the other aspects, but yet affected by sin. And we'll also see that the Bible doesn't say that that is what self-control is to exercise self-control by sheer willpower, to just do it this time, to muster up the courage and here we go. Now there's something much deeper that we need to get to. This is Paul busy addressing in this specific passage and we're going to read together and see what we can learn from this. 1 Corinthians 9, from verse 23 to chapter 10, verse 14. Let's read together. It says, I do all for the sake of... Of the gospel, I do it all, speaking about his ministry, speaking about becoming all things to all men in order to gain some. The work that God has assigned to him. And we know what Paul had to endure in his work hardships, toil, struggles, famine, shipwreck, stoned, beaten, all of that. And I do all for the sake of the gospel that I must share with them in his blessings. that we might not desire evil as they did, to not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he falls. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Interesting passage of Scripture. A lot that we can say, a lot of Old Testament examples to reflect on, but to kind of get to the heart of the matter. Because while this is such a beautiful passage of Scripture, it's also very dangerous when we misinterpret it and only focus on certain parts. To kind of come away with the wrong idea. Specifically, if we only focus on chapter 9 from verse 24 to 27. Paul writing about an athlete that exercises self-control in all things, disciplines his body, brings it under control, running towards the race. It kind of seems if we only focus on that part that we should also know where we are going and we should go there on purpose and bring our body under self-control. We should try hard to do it. And when we walk away with that misconception about what the text is not saying, one of two things happen. And the first is we become Pharisees. In other words, the outside looks good. All of the right things are there, but inside there's no life. Or secondly, we become hopeless, cynical, bitter. And kind of the hopelessness, the cynicism, and the bitterness, that's easy to see. It's easy to identify. Saying to ourselves, man, I've tried, so hard again and again and again. And I've told God that this time I won't and this time I won't and this time I'm going to and this time I'm going to and still I haven't and still I've fallen short. I'm not going to try again. I, I don't have what it takes. And that's true. We don't have what it takes. We're not supposed to look there. And we kind of experience and see that in our own lives. But the more difficult one is seeing when we become Pharisees. It's difficult to acknowledge, difficult to see. Everything looks as it should look, but there's no life, no joy, no happiness. And when we read statements like Jesus saying, I've come to give life and life in abundance, we don't identify with any of that. And we look to the people around us as they follow God, and we see joy, and we see them speaking about the presence of God and the joy of God. And God said this, and God led us there, and and none of that makes sense. I don't experience any of that. I'm doing all of the same things, but there's no life inside. And we want to experience that. Like I said, very difficult to acknowledge. Very difficult to see, but maybe that is some of us tonight. No life, no joy. just following God. Basically, our whole lives is marked by doing the right things, but it's not necessarily what we want to do. I'm going to do it, but I don't want to actually. It's the older brother, in the story of the lost sons all these years I've worked for you, all these years I've slaved for you, but you've never given me anything, I've never experienced celebration. And not because the Father is unwilling to love, but because you don't want to come into the house and also receive the hug. Maybe that's some of you tonight. And again, to maybe turn to the hopelessness side. What is that one thing that you've told God again and again, this time I won't or this time I'm going to? And it just hasn't happened. Doesn't seem to get there, for short stints and short periods of time, it seems to be going well, and then all of a sudden, the wheels just fall off. And maybe you've tried so many times that you've just given up. And the question is why? What is it that we don't understand? What is it that we should grasp? That we can run with endurance this race, so that we can run that we may also obtain the prize there was a guy in Sekunda that me and Robin used to go and see frequently when Piet. And he used to say that your problem is not your problem. Your approach to your problem is your problem. And many times it's the same when it comes to self-control and when it comes to discipline in the Christian life. The problem is not the problem. Our approach to the problem is actually the problem. And again, when we consider the message of the gospel, there's four aspects Like we've said many times, problem, solution, response, and effect. We as the people, unfortunately, have the problem. Jesus, through his work on the cross, his life and ministry on earth, his life and death, that's the solution. In all aspects of life. The response is enabled by the Holy Spirit in us, so that when we see the solution, we can actually respond in the way that we should. And then that leads to the effect, the Father's will We begin to look sound and smell again like the Father wants us to. Amen. And with all areas of life and with every passage of Scripture and every topic of Scripture, we can look for those four things. What is the problem? What is the solution? How should we respond and what should the effect be? And let's look at the problem. The actual problem is not willpower. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6. That same passage It says, now these things took place an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul's speaking about self-control, speaking about running with endurance, speaking about being disciplined by not giving in to temptation. And what does he say? He's at the heart of the matter. Desire. It's not willpower. It's not the mind. It's not the intellect. It is the heart. That's the problem. We might not desire evil as they did and in light of that I can understand why we want to focus on the mind and the intellect why we want to focus on the actions instead of the heart because we have the ability to decide what we want to do and what we want to think of right now you can decide what you want to do when you get home you can decide what you want to do you can cut the grass even if it's dark you can decide to do that if you want to you can wash your car you can make food You can go to sleep, you can watch a movie, you can pray, you can read your Bible. You can decide what you want to do. And many times we decide certain things and it doesn't last very long, but nonetheless we can decide. When it comes to our ability to think and to reason, you can think about whatever you want at this moment. Think about your house, there it is. Think about your car, there it is. Think about your dog, cat, fish, there they are. You can decide. What you want to think about? And obviously when we let our thoughts go, when we're not intentional about directing our thoughts, it will drift again to our strongest desire. But nonetheless, we can decide. But when it comes to the heart, we cannot. You cannot decide to desire something. You cannot decide to long for something. We don't have the ability to do that. It's why in English we say people fall in love. They didn't fall intentionally. They were walking in boobs. There they went. There the desire goes. But it wasn't someone looking at someone and thought, wow, I'm going to start to desire them." Here we go. It's not how it works. It's not how desire works. It's not how the heart works. And that's why it's difficult. That's why we would rather choose intellect. And also we have to acknowledge that when we, didn't, we don't do certain things, it's because we don't desire the right things. It's confrontational. It's not comfortable to many times be confronted with our own hearts. To be confronted with our own desires. That's why we many times also tend to shy away from being transparent and vulnerable and walking in accountability. Because man, if they knew what's going on in here, The things that I desire sometimes. Strange things. But nonetheless, it's the truth of our hearts. You see, that's why Paul uses this example of the runner, or the athlete, or the guy competing in the race. And if you ask an Olympic athlete, or whatever the case is, why they do what they do? And if they don't desire certain things, don't you desire to go out with your friends, or eat certain things, or also just relax for a week? Do you always feel like training? And sometimes yes, sometimes no. But what they will tell you is that there's a desire that surpasses them all, and that is that gold medal. Might be a lot of things that I long for every now and again, but one desire exceeds them all, and that's why I live the way I live. I'm not going to go compete in the Olympics because I saw from a young age that I'm a very disciplined person. and thought, well, I'll do well in that. it's the desire that led to the certain way of life. Why do some succeed? Because they just want it more. They desire it more. And sometimes we desire good things, but unfortunately we desire the bad things more. And we sometimes ask ourselves, man, why do I do that? The truth of the matter is just because we want to. Sometimes we don't know why we want to, but nonetheless we do. That's why we do it. The desire is the problem. There's a verse that we know well in Proverbs 4 verse 23 makes the case. It says the following. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The New Living Translation says it directs the course of your life. Keep your heart because it directs the course of your life. What you set your heart on will determine your life, it will influence your course of action. Thomas. Chalmers writes, he says, We only cease to be slaves of one appetite because another appetite has taken its place. It's the only way. We only get rid of one desire by placing another desire above it. Desires fighting for the places of our hearts. He says, The only way to dispose the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. And many times, see this, I see this in the life of young people, and the way they live, and just partying with friends, and seems to be no self-control, no discipline. they are kind of wondering when will they become disciplined? When will they come some direction in their lives? And all of a sudden, somewhere out of nowhere, there just seems to happen something, and all of a the sudden, there's self-control and there's discipline. Why? Because the one idol of living this idolatrous lifestyle and parting with friends has been superseded by the idol of materialistic gain. And they desire that more and all of a sudden the way of life shifts. Because they need to do certain things to get what they desire. We read the same thing in James 1 verse 14 to 15. It's not on the board but you can go and read that. And it's James speaking about sin and temptation and why we are led astray. It says, God is not the one that tempts us. But each person is tempted when? He's led away by his own desire. And desire, when it's given birth, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, leads to death. But we are tempted and led away by what? By our own desires and again we many times acknowledge and we know that there's an enemy out there the devil and many times we're not quite so focused on how evil he actually is and how intent on destroying he actually is but nonetheless he's there and many times we kind of acknowledge that the reason why we do certain things is because of temptation but here's the problem we can only be tempted with what we actually desire Think about something that you don't like to eat. Doesn't matter how hard the devil tries to get you to eat that. It's not going to work. Because you don't desire it. You don't like it. You have no appetite for it. And again, very uncomfortable when we are confronted with this reality. The reason why we do certain things is because we actually want to. There's a desire to do that. And even if we are saved and we are made in the image of God, and we are born again, and we are spirit-filled, and all of that, the old sinful self, still alive, and still has desires, still wants to do what it should not do, still alive in some of us. And Miss up until this point, you've thought to yourself, I'm actually doing pretty well, this area of self-control, I kind of have it, I kind of have it under control, the self-control, kind of doing pretty well, and Paul writes the following, if you are thinking that, that man, I kind of have this down, and as he's writing that just before he gives the solution, he writes in verse 12, and he says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Interesting, Paul, as he's writing this, as he's speaking about self control, as he's speaking about endurance, as he's speaking about this example that we've said to not desire evil things, to not be idolatrous, to sit in there. As if as this letter is being read to the church, if for some way you thought to yourself, as this was being read, that you are doing quite well, take heed. Lest you fall. And interesting, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands. Take heed lest he thought. And what Paul is saying is be very careful that you did not mistake self-control for idolatry. Take care that you do not mistake self-control for idolatry. And what I mean by that is when we have certain desires and when we set our hearts on things that we shouldn't, it will give us. Seeming self control in certain areas of life, but never in all areas of life. For example, if a relationship takes hold of our heart, that becomes the center, the middle point of all that we do, the only thing we think about is this relationship, then in the area of that relationship, we will be very disciplined, very self controlled. Man, we're always on time, we always look nice, we always send the message, we always buy the flowers, we always remember the anniversary, but it seems that every other area of life kind of seems to fall apart. We're not as invested in the other areas of life as we are invested in this thing. The Afrikaans calls it mace nester. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement. But you're so in love, the only thing that you can think about and focus on is this relationship. Another one might be work, money. Journalistic gain, career success. When that becomes the center of our lives, it will give us a seeming self-control in certain areas. And Like Herman said a couple of weeks ago, nobody has ever thought, man, that guy works real hard. He must be careful not to end up in hell. Because it looks so good. It looks like a good fruit. And while all of his energy and time gets invested into his work, the rest of his life suffers under that. Family dynamic, time with the kids, a rest day as God intends for us. And it seems very disciplined in certain areas, but the rest of the areas are lacking. And you'll specifically see this in the area of emotions. Why, because when the relationship is not working out as I thought it would, or when the career success is not going as I thought it would, or when the finances isn't looking great, then my emotions take over. And I'm not in control anymore and tempers flare up, and anger, rage, depression sets in. Because what I've set my heart on isn't working out. No no stability. It isn't a certain thing. And as it changes, my emotions do as well. And many times that leads to different addictions. That's where the other addiction sets in to cope with the emotions. Because what we've set our heart on, isn't working out. And it seems like self control and it seems like discipline. But it's not that at all. Many people live very disciplined lives. Why? Out of fear. Fear that tomorrow we might not have what we need, so we better work hard to ensure that we take care of ourselves. Fear, strong motivator. And it seems disciplined, but at the heart of it, something else is in control. Something else might be in control. And again, we'll see this in one of two ways. Might your life, might have been distinguished by you doing what you actually don't want to do. And what that means is the typical Pharisaic art that I spoke about. And maybe you're living for the approval of people and the people that you surround yourself with just you think it will be good for you to be a good Christian. And you do all of the right things to please people instead of please God. And your whole life is marked by doing what you actually do not want. Everything looks good, but there's no life inside. Like I said, you're disciplining certain areas of life with the rest of the areas of your life falling apart. Remember, I asked us in the beginning, is there an area of your life where it seems that you're exercising more self-control than others? Scripture says, take care if that is the case. Because that might be an idol. It might be an idol. Afrikaans say Afghotsdings. We're busy worshiping something other than God. It might be self. Might be our work. Might be other things, but nonetheless it is not God. In the week I read a specific definition of sin that kind of sums this up well. It says one definition of sin is fulfilling a legitimate need by illegitimate means. Trying to fill the right need with the wrong means, the right thing in the wrong way. Because you see, our hearts were made to worship. Our hearts were made to desire something. But many times we try to fill it with the wrong thing. And that might lead to a shine of self-control in certain areas, but not in all. And Paul writes in verse 25, he says, an athlete must exercise self-control in all things. In all things. So now that the problem is desire, but what then should we set our hearts on and how do we set it? How do we shift it? How does it get there? First, the what? Paul writes in chapter 9, verse 23. And he says, I do all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. And Paul is not saying that he wants to earn some blessing of the gospel, he wants to earn some fruit of the gospel. He says that I might share with them, the people that I'm ministering to. those that I become all things to all men in order to win some, them, I want to share with them in its blessings. Joint fellowship, the word koinonia in the Greek. So firstly, Paul is saying, "For the sake of the gospel and for the benefit of others. Firstly, I do it for God, and to please Him, and to complete the work that He has given me to do, and secondly, for others, so that they might also receive the blessing of the gospel. And Paul is saying, the farther I remove myself from the center of my life, the more self-controlled I seem to be. When God is first, and others second, and I find myself third, it's there where I exercise Self-control. And the closer I seem to move to the center, the more everything just spirals out of control. So firstly, the reason why I do what I do and I live the way I live, is, as Paul says, I have died with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything I do to please God. And secondly, so that I might not be a stumbling block to others. That in everything in my life, there might be no hindrance that keeps someone from believing God. And that will affect every area of life, even our work. I think it's in Titus or Timothy, which so beautifully says that bond servants, meaning if you work for a boss and you get paid a salary, work in such a way that you adorn the gospel of God. That you clothe the gospel with beautiful clothes. Work in such a way. As Hermann also said with Daniel's devotion to God. A life truly committed to God. They could find no fault with Him in any aspect of life. Self-control. Why? Because God is at the center. His heart is set on the one who saves. That leads to that self-control. The farther we move away from the middle, the more self-controlled we become. And again, to do it in love. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 it says the love of Christ controls us. We've realized something of the gospel. And we actually see an example of this, this love affection that makes duty seems delightful. In Genesis 29, it's the story of Rachel and Jacob. And Jacob is working for Laban. You can go and read the story if you have time. And Laban is a very difficult man to work for. Constantly wants to do injustice to Jacob. Changes his wages the whole time. It's not nice to work for this man. But Jacob loves Rachel and he says, let me work for you for your daughter. And Laban says, okay, seven years. If you serve me seven years, then you can marry Rachel. And in verse 20, we read that it felt like only a few days because of the love he had for her. Was it difficult to get up in the morning? No. Did he work with delight? Yes. Why? Because his heart was set. Rachel because of his love for her it felt like only a few days and the same will be true of Christian duty discipline to get up in the morning to read our Bible to pray why because of the love we have for him it doesn't seem like a sacrifice at all it doesn't seem like a sacrifice at all and we, many times we will see if we understand this if we use that analogy know, many times the question is asked If you've served God your whole life and someone else just before they die turns away from all of the pleasures of this world and gives their heart to Christ and they're also saved, how does that make you feel? And many times if we say, no, that is unfair, what we're actually saying is because my whole life long I had to do what I did not want to do and keep myself from doing the things that I actually wanted, so that I can go to heaven. And that person could have done all of the things I actually desired to do their whole lives long. And at the end, they turned to Christ and didn't have to do all of these awful disciplines that I had to put up with my whole life. I don't understand the message of the gospel. Our heart is not set in Christ. That is not the love of Christ that compels. That is the heart of a Pharisee that just doesn't want to go to hell. And that is not what we are trying to do, so that we might have a relationship with him. So that's the what, for the sake of the gospel, and so that others might share in each blessing. That is fulfilling a legitimate need by legitimate means. Why? Because that's what we were created to do. To know God and to do the work that he's given us to do. There's nothing more fulfilling than spreading the message of the gospel investing in the lives of others and seeing them come alive in Christ. Why? Because that's what we were created to do. There's nothing that fills us up in quite the same way. Because that's what we were created to do. So that's the why, but now the how. How does that happen? In verse 13, it's very important again that we see this. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And sometimes the only thing we kind of read there is that He will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. In other words, I have it within myself to resist this temptation. No, God is faithful. He will also provide the way of escape. He will provide it. He will do this. He's the faithful one in this scenario. And it happens twofold. Firstly, it's by as we turn away from temptation, we turn towards whom? Jesus. Hebrews 12 is 1, two, 3. It's not on the board. But it says, as we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings to so closely, running the race that is set before us with endurance, looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the right hand of God. Consider him. Consider him. Look to him. Consider him and see what? That even when Jesus was on earth, even though he had the willpower, he did not use that to accomplish what he came to do. What was it that drove Jesus? Also desire for the joy set before him he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? What did he come to gain through the cross? Was it to become king of the world? No, he was already. Was it to become the owner of everything in the universe? No, he was already. It was for you and for me so that we can walk in relationship with him again for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And it's when we realize that that our hearts shift to Jesus. And again, many of us have heard that and we understand that up here, but it's never sank into our hearts. We've never realized that really, never experienced that truly. And why? Because we constantly just hear it and then we run somewhere else. Instead of like the scripture says, look to him, look, consider, think. Sit still and meditate and ask God to come and make this true in our hearts. Lord, I'm tired of just hearing this. i want to really understand. I really want to understand this. Come and show this to me. And we ask the one who gives generously without reproach to those who ask. But let us ask in faith. Amen. As we look, Lord, as we consider. That's the first one. As we turn away, we turn towards. It's not just looking at the cake and trying not to eat it. It's turn away from it. Look to something else, more desirable. Look to the right need that's supposed to fulfill Jesus. And secondly, as we do that, to cry out to God, to come and do the thing that we cannot, and that is to change our hearts. As David said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Why? Because I cannot. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why? Because I cannot. I can do a lot of things intentionally, but I cannot change my heart. It's like Jericho said, God needs to come and take the heart of stone out. He needs to come and put the heart of flesh in. And He needs to pour out His Spirit so that we would walk in His ways. It's Ezekiel 36 from verse 24, speaking about the new covenant. God saying, I will remove the heart of stone. I will give them the heart of flesh. I will pour out my spirit upon them. And that will cause them to walk in my ways. But God is the one that does the work. It's not willpower. It's not trying hard ourselves. It's surrendering to the one that is able to not just change the action, but change the desire. Look at what scripture says. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Why? Not because we have that. Because we need that. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the spirit that produces that in our lives. We don't have the ability. We don't have it in of ourselves. And we many times do that with the rest of the fruit of the Spirit as well. I see, I have no patience, so what I, I'm going to try hard this time. Instead of crying out and saying, Lord, help. I see the condition of my heart, I cannot change that. You see, many times we know what we should desire, but that does not mean we are desiring that. It's one of the greatest confusions in the Christian life, thinking that we desire the things that we should. Thinking that we do the things that we do for the right reasons. It's not always the case. Just knowing what we should desire doesn't mean we do desire that. In small group, we play this game called turkeys and eagles. And it has this little question cards that ask the most prompting questions. sometimes. For whose opinion are you living for? do you want to please in life? And again, as we said there, many times we look to one another and we say, well, I know what I should say. I know what the answer should be. But it's not necessarily what the answer is. And in light of that, we need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I see. I see the condition of my heart. And I'm going to start thinking about different things and I'm going to start doing different things. But I ask you to come and do what I cannot, Lord. And that is turn my heart as I do that. Scripture says in Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, same thing. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. And many times we read that again and understand it wrong, and the only thing we see is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and we, oh, here we go again. We're going to try hard, but we don't see the for and we don't see the therefore. What was the therefore? The therefore was Jesus Christ becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is the gospel. Because of the gospel, therefore, work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, meaning that he will give you the desire and the ability to do what he's called you to do. Both the desire and the ability, because of the gospel and because of God working in you through His Spirit, we can do what God has called us to do. And some of us might have experienced this. Verse 13, God working in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Many times, as we're busy listening to a sermon or busy worshiping, this desire comes up and we think about our Bible at home, and it seems so desirable. So precious, man, and you cannot wait to go and sit and read. I don't know if you've experienced that before. Something happens and you're thinking about prayer and man, there's just this desire and it just looks so delightful to go and sit and just pour out your heart before God. Or to preach the gospel to people. Maybe you think about that guy at work or that person in your family, and all of a sudden there's this desire, this willingness to go and share the gospel with them. Sometimes it's to confess sin. It's to bring something to light. As God is busy working, this comes this desire, man, I need to do this. And then the next morning when we wake up, it's gone. I don't know if you've experienced that before. But as this taking place, God is busy working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And instead of getting to the thing and seeing that the desire is gone, to say, okay, I'm just going to push through. Instead of crying out to God and say, Lord, come and do it again. Lord, I acknowledge that I don't want to. The desire is not there, but Lord, come and move. Jesus, help. Lord, come and shift my heart. Because God is willing and God is able. I end all for us with Philippians 1 verse 6. It's Paul writing. And he says that I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished the day when Christ Jesus returns. God who began will complete. Not God who began so you need to try hard. He lit the fire but you need to keep it going. Now all that it takes is to lay down our pride. To acknowledge the condition of our hearts. And to say Jesus help. Lord come and create in me. The desire to do good. Come work in me to will and to work for your good pleasure.